It's time for your best legal defense with your host, Lonnie McDowell. This could be the most important hour of your entire week. Our program discusses the criminal defense and legal system and what it can mean to you. Lonnie and his guest experts will discuss cases that are groundbreaking and important to today's law and court system, from arrest to bail. We know you have questions about the law, and we're here to answer those too. Now, here's trial attorney and host, Lonnie McDowell. Hey, welcome. Good morning. This is your best legal defense. I'm Lonnie McDowell. And for the next hour, we'll be uh, talking about uh, the criminal justice system. Uh, this week's uh, guest host here with me is uh, Justin Shimizu. Uh, he's a criminal defense attorney here in Los Angeles. Uh, after law school, Justin clerked with the district attorney of Los Angeles uh, in Long Beach, California. Uh, he's had multiple jury trials and is actively practicing criminal law here in Los Angeles. So good morning, Justin. How are you doing? Hey, good morning. Uh, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on the show. Real excited to, uh, to talk about some uh, legal issues. Great. Uh, it's great to have you here. Glad you could do it. Thank you. Um, you know, as many of our listeners may know, last week uh, we had a uh, re-recorded uh, program since I was in a felony trial and uh, had some things that needed to be uh, accomplished for that. So uh, we have a lot of questions that uh, have been uh, emailed into our uh, request line, which is radioshow at mcdowelldefense.com for anyone who uh, is listening and wants to uh, send in a uh, question. Uh, you can also call into uh, the show for a, a live on air question. But I wanted to uh, get some of these and get your take on some of these questions, um, and then we can discuss you know some some other aspects. Um, but before we do that, uh, would you tell me a little bit about uh, and our listeners about your practice? All right, yeah, sure. Um, I'm a criminal defense attorney. I right now practice in LA County and Orange County, uh, with mainly a specialty in uh, DUIs and uh, that's mainly uh, misdemeanor matters. Um, I graduated from law school uh, in 2010, uh, started practicing in 2012, so it's been uh, about three, three-some years. Um, and I, I do criminal defense just because I love it. Um, it's, it's not because of the money, it's because I feel like I'm able to help people. <laughs> well, that, that's true. Most people think criminal defense attorneys are very rich, like most lawyers, and that's not the case. They you know. father from the truth. <laughs> right. It's the civil attorneys who, who are paid by the insurance companies who are the ones who uh, have the vacation homes and uh, maids and such. Um, but anyway, uh, you say uh, you kind of specialize uh, or do a majority of your work in, in DUI defense. That's correct. So it's coming up on your busy season uh, yeah, with the holidays. <laughs> most certainly is. <laughs> Halloween, uh, New Year's, Christmas, Thanksgiving. Yep. Right. Uh, have you seen like over the years, it seems that there's kind of a rise in uh, DUI arrests. And I can't imagine that it's just because more people are drinking. Do you find that, that police are starting to crack down on, on uh Driving, uh, of course, of course. Uh, it definitely has to do with the um, the activity that the police are doing, and I think what a lot of people um, they suspect but aren't really um, there's no actual factual basis for it. Uh, it it's it's definitely a revenue raising, uh, definitely a res- revenue raising crime. Um, as anybody who knows who ever had a, a DUI, especially here in L.A. or Orange. Uh, your, your fines and fees, even for a first-time DUI, range from about two thousand, and um, you know, of course, we all wonder where that two thousand goes to. Right. And uh, a good good percentage of it goes back into the state. So I mean, uh, you know, revenue raising. 
Right. And, and it is true that ever since the financial crisis, there, there seems to be a great uptick in uh, DUI uh, arrests. Um, and part of that, you know, is because it is so easy to arrest someone for a DUI. Um, unlike other crimes where there's, you know, objective evidence, there, there's a broken window, there, there's something. DUI is very uh, subjective to the officer of whether he thinks you're intoxicated or not. That's right. Uh, the issue of probable cause definitely, uh, in order to pull somebody over, all they need to see is somebody swerving, weaving, speeding, but who doesn't? I mean, who doesn't right. completely sober? Well, um, here in LA, if you're driving the speed limit, you're going backwards in traffic. <laughs> well, that's true. And it's so easy to pull someone over uh, because the vehicle code is actually you know, th one of the thickest codes of all of California. There are so many things that are just minor things that no one even thinks about that a police officer could actually cite you for. Uh, you know, that it's just so easy to come up with probable cause to stop and then can do the DUI right. investigation. That, that, that's right. Um, any violation of vehicle code is or gives ground for probable cause for an officer to pull you over. Um, so I'm talking uh, head, headlights out, taillights out. You got a little um, little uh, emblem dangling from your uh, rearview mirror. Uh, you have a, a broken rearview mirror. I mean, just an example, I ride, I ride a motorcycle. My, uh, my, my exhaust is modified. So technically, they can pull me over at any time. All right. Um, of course, I'm not driving under the influence at that point, but still. <laughs> or at any point. <laughs> any, any, any violation of the vehicle code, they can pull you over. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, and, and, and it's little minor things that if, if they want to pull you over, that they can. You were saying about headlight out, taillight out. But not only that, if there's a crack in the red filter to your taillight, and it can just be a small, you know, sliver crack. As long as they can see white through that, they can pull you over for that. That's right. And so many people get, you know, stopped for that. And as I especially notice the DUI clients that, that I get, um, most of them seem to be arrested between 1230 and 3 in the morning. <laughs> Any coincidence there? <laughs> <laughs> Three, uh, well, the bars stop serving alcohol around 1.45 to 2. So, I mean, you got to go someplace after that. Right. And the police are out and, and they're looking for it. So, um, police checkpoints obviously go up during this time. Uh, they do. Uh, one thing nice is they do have to notify um, prior to you entering those checkpoints. There's particular laws that require them to give you notice about one street up. Uh, that there's a checkpoint, but by that time, it's way too late to turn off. I've actually gone through a checkpoint uh, just to see what everything was about. And, um, of course, there's officers right at that sign watching all the exit routes. Right. You pull off. In fact, I, I took an exit route. Sure enough, there's a motor cop, lights off, saw me pulling out, just came around and started following me. Um, so, yes, checkpoints checkpoints definitely are something that you need to be aware of. Right. By, by law, they have to provide a turnoff place prior to actually entering the, the checkpoint, and that has to be marked. That is correct. And they're not allowed to stop you just because you turn off. However, like you said, they have officers there that will follow you, and then they're looking for any infraction whatsoever to pull you over. Oh, they do. Right. You know, I, I have a lot of clients, actually, who came to me. Um, they were saying, you know, they, they, knew they, were, uh, they knew they had drank a little bit more than they probably should have. Uh, but they told themselves that they would uh, they would just drive inc incredibly careful. 
honestly, I don't care how careful you are. They'll find something. They'll right. find something. Um, so, of course, obviously, an ounce of uh, prevention is much better than a pound of cure. Right. And, you know, you said you went through a, a checkpoint just to see what it was like. I actually, several years ago, uh, went through a checkpoint and not just to see what it was like. Uh, <laughs> but actually, and, and it was it was silly because it was in Palm Springs. I was staying uh, in uh, La Quinta, and I was driving down the Palm uh, Highway there. And when I went by it the first time, it was on the other side of the street, and it was all the lights. And I thought, oh, they're just filming something. And I didn't really pay attention to what was over there. And then, of course, coming home, realized what it was that I was getting into. And I had had one beer, thank God. Um, and, you know, they stop. Have you had anything to drink? Yes, I had, you know, you know, I had a beer. Okay, sir, thank you. Pull your car over to the side there. And we went, <laughs> I was like, okay, here we go. So we went through the tests. And these tests, and as criminal defense attorneys, this is one of our arguments that we, we always have to juries, is these tests are very subjective. They're not well-designed, even though they've been approved by NHTSA, which is the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration. Correct. Um, but they're most, a lot of people can't even do these tests if they've had no alcohol. Oh, absolutely. They're, they're, they're designed to make you fail. Fail, Right. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's, it's funny because this is a test where you can get a 95 on the test and still fail. Um, you know, because you've had five, what they call cues and, you know, according to them that, that shows impairment, but. It was funny because you know they did the, the uh, um, HGM, which is a horizontal gate nystagmus. They hold the pen in front of your eyes, and you go back and forth, right. and you're supposed to follow it. And then you know we did the walk and turn. And it was walk nine steps up, turn a certain way, come back ten steps, and of course I got to walk up and heel to toe. And I'm looking at the, the pavement going, okay, we're on a downgrade. The pavement's cracked. It's uneven. So this is really unfair <laughs> to begin with. Absolutely. And, of course, I get 9, 10, and go, oops. <laughs> <laughs> it's got, okay, so right there's a cue. Did not follow instructions. Turned, came back. Um, and then we did the, uh, you know, uh, hold your leg up six inches in front, the, the Romberg uh, balancing test. And... Yeah, you know, one thing I probably I can't do anyway. Um, so we didn't do well on that. So I was like, "Oh, here we go." Luckily, we did the pass, and I blew a point oh one. <laughs> so yeah, now at least we know what one beer put you in. Right, exactly. Um, and it was like, "Oh, okay, sir." They both both officers looked at it like, "Oh crap, we don't get them." Okay. And then it was like, "Okay, well, your car, uh, you're free to go. Uh, your car is like three blocks up." <laughs> so now I have to walk three blocks from my car. You should be bringing it back to me. But yeah, they are they are designed to to make you fail. It's designed to give officers a reason to arrest you and and start the process. That's right. Honestly, in in my entire practice, every single police report I've received uh, regarding field sobriety tests, no one has ever passed per the officers. Right. Everyone, every officer's reports will say that they failed, they missed a step, they failed to follow instructions. Um, and, and honestly, these people could be, compl I've seen people who have been um, under the legal limit, um, and everybody fails. Fails, right. Well, right. like I said, I'm sure had, I, you know, I could tell by the officer's expressions and the way they were like writing notes and things when I was doing things, 
I was being written up as a fail on this. Absolutely. And had it not been for the the, the breath test and the fact that I really did only have one beer, <laughs> uh, which is always, you know, oh, yes, officer, I had one beer. You know, meanwhile, I've had 10. Right. Uh, so they're used to that excuse. But, you know, had it been that uh, I had more than that, uh, you know, I definitely would have been, been snagged in that. But, you know, luckily. But it was very interesting to see what my clients go through. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's specifically why I went to those checkpoints, just to see exactly what these officers do. Because, of course, clients will come to you and tell you, hey, the officer was being unfair. They're mistreating you. They said you failed. Um, you know, sometimes you don't, you don't believe them. But, you know, when you go through these checkpoints and you see exactly what happens firsthand – you understand your clients are telling the truth. Right. All right. Well, I want to get into a little bit more about uh, clients <clears throat> and uh, how we deal with clients and, and some of the issues and things. Uh, but we're going to take a short uh, commercial break here. And uh, when we get back, let's, let's begin with that. Perfect. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Have you been arrested? Is someone you love in a legal jam? Don't get advice from just anyone. Call the criminal defense experts at McDowell & Associates. Attorneys. McDowell & Associates has over 20 years of legal experience. The National Trial Lawyers Association named us one of the top 100 California criminal defense trial attorneys for two years in a row. We know that sometimes good people just make bad mistakes. We know the system, and we know how to fight for you. We know what the prosecutors will do, we know their weaknesses, and we'll do everything at our disposal to get you the best possible outcome. Your case will receive the personalized attention it deserves. McDowell & Associates, attorneys, has the experience and the skill to make sure you or the ones you love receive the best legal defense and strategy. Call 213-401-2322 or visit mcdowelldefense.com. That's 213-401-2322 or mcdowelldefense.com. Se habla espanol. When your future is on the line, your future is our business. Call us at 213-401-2322. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is your best legal defense with Lonnie McDowell. If you have a question for the host or guest, we're ready to take your call at 1-866-472-5788. This is your best legal defense with Lonnie McDowell. If you have a question for the host or guest, we're ready to take your call at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Be sure to tell the screener if you need to remain anonymous with your question. You may also send an email to radioshow at mcdowelldefense.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, welcome back. This is Your Best Legal Defense. I am here today speaking with Justin Shimizu, a criminal defense attorney here in Los Angeles and Orange County. And prior to the break, we were discussing uh, DUIs and, and some of the issues there since uh, Justin does a lot of DUI work. And just before the, the talk, uh, before the break, you mentioned 
that when you talk to clients, they tell you one thing, but then you find out the actual facts tend to sometimes be a little bit different. Slightly skewed, yes. Slightly skewed, right. Uh, and it's that believing the client issue. I mean, I have clients tell me one story and I read the, the uh, police report and it's like, was the client even there at the time? Right. <laughs> the, the facts are so different. How do you, how do you uh, deal with your clients when you, when you have that issue? Um, first of all, that, that's correct. That issue always comes up. Um, you know, someone will walk through the door or they'll give me a call, tell me their version of the story. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take that with a grain of salt. I'll wait till I get the police reports. And that's right. You know, I'll read the police reports and, and I'll be like, what, what was this client talking about? Um, but the pro- the thing is, I, I think it, I think it happens for, for s- several reasons. Um, <clears throat> One, sometimes, I mean, I understand it. I understand coming from the client's perspective. Uh, a lot of times they're in shock and they're scared about what happens. Um, so many times that kind of, that kind of causes them to uh, focus only on what they want to believe or what they want to think rather than what actually has happened. Um, other times, sometimes especially with, uh, with legal issues, they'll, they'll be in court and they'll say something happened in court when something completely different <laughs> actually happened. And I also understand, you know, legal jargon and the court procedures are very, very foreign to, to the layperson. Um, a lot of people have no idea, you know, what a pretrial is, what arraignment is, what, what trial is even. Right. And so, you know, a lot of times they'll tell me this is, this is what's going on in court. And I understand, you know, they're not, they're not the most savvy in court procedures. And so I'll take that with a grain of salt. I always double check. Um, I check the case number, check the record. Yeah, if, if that's not available, I'll call the clerk, find out exactly what's, what's, what's going, going on. on. Get, get the paperwork. Uh, the most important thing to do is get the minute order. Uh, that tells you exactly what happened on what day, who was there. Um, I can ask a client, you know, hey, was this person here? What, what happened there? But of course, right. in order, always either confirms or right. or I'll, uh, deny whatever they said. Right. I, I remember when I first started out in criminal criminal defense, is having clients come in and, uh, you know, I, I, I you know, want to hire you. You know, this is what's going on. Um, I, you know, they're going to schedule my prelim hearing uh, at the next. Uh, court dates. So I'd like you to come in. And, you know, I'm like, okay, well, we can get the the prelim continued and and things, and then walk in and find out trial is starting that day. <laughs> they, they had the prelim six months before, and this is the day for trial. So you learn really quickly to get those things. The minute order, call the court, find out what is going on. But one of the things that that I notice is the version of events from when I get a prospective client in. And when I get the police report and one of the things, questions that I've had from people who've worked for me when they first started working um, is, well, you know, how can you deal with the client lying to you like that? And I don't necessarily think the client really is lying right. uh, so much as one, they, they see it from their version, obviously. Right. Um, they do try to minimize sometimes, um, don't tell you the whole, the whole story. But the difference in the police report, and I try to explain this to clients because I've had clients just absolutely freak out when they, you know, I've read the police report to them. It's like, that never happened. How can they say that? You know, is the police are writing those reports from their perspective. Absolutely. And they're making that police report while not technically lying in it. They're skewing it to prevent, present evidence to 
justify the arrest and to give the prosecution something to go on. Uh, do you find that when, when you're looking at reports? Oh, oh, absolutely. In fact, the reason why I enjoy criminal law is it's almost an investigative type, type field. Right. Um, of course, there's an investigation that goes on regarding the facts, but at, it, what happens is there's a client side of the story, there's the police or the district attorney side of the story, and then there's the truth. And as a criminal defense attorney, your job is to find the truth. And it generally lies somewhere, in the, as, as <laughs> exactly, always. So exactly. Generally, somewhere in between, there, there's a little bit of truth on, on everyone's side. Exactly. And then once you get to the truth, then you can work around, find out what the best offer or what the best result can, can be. Right. And one question that, that I tend to get, and I think almost every criminal defense attorney gets, is, well, you know, what's your success rate? Define success. Well, that's what, I, and that's one thing that I always say. I say, you know, it depends on your definition of success. Absolutely. You know, is success to you getting the case dismissed? I said, or is it some other option? I mean, I've had clients. I, I had one in, uh, a year ago who was facing forty-five to life. We got him four years. To him, that was a great success. Right. It wasn't a dismissal, but. It was a much better outcome than what he could have expected uh, had he gone to trial and lost. And I think that's what some cl prospective clients don't quite get is, well, you know, if, if you're not, you know, have a 90% dismissal rate, you know, you're not a good attorney. And it's no criminal defense attorney has a 90% uh, dismissal rate, no matter what some people advertise. Um, but they, they don't look at it, especially in the very beginning, as... A success can be something other than dismissal of all the charges. That's right. So uh, that's that's completely right. Most some clients, um, or actually a lot of people in general, if they're charged with a first-time crime, uh, they look at criminal defense attorneys as if they're supposed to be the new David Copperfield. So, right. <laughs> we, Very good. We're, we're not. We're not magicians. We, we can't take. We can't take this um, this formidable statute that we're staring at just make it disappear. Right. We well, the best we can do. It, of course, it all depends on the facts. We can mitigate. You know, we can um, at least let let this, the story, the truth, come out, um, and then we can we can mitigate and see how that works out. Of course, there are always dismissals. There's jury trials if it comes to that. But you know, many times if a client has done what they have been charged with, uh, you just can't make those things disappear. Disappear, right? But most things. Uh, from my experience, and, and the statistics seem to bear it out, very few things go to jury trial. And that's right. I think uh, percentage, I, I want to say maybe 10%, maybe less. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's around 5%, right, 5 in, in L.A. that actually will go to a jury trial. It, it's, it's from, you think of it as a big funnel. You have all of these cases coming in, and it gets funneled down to, to the jury trial. A lot of them are dismissed. Because they, the district attorney doesn't have the evidence to make the charges, uh, to prove all of the elements of the crime. Then there's uh, plea bargaining. At that point, you know, sometimes if it's a felony, it's going to go to prelim. Some things are dismissed there, although very few. Right. Uh, it's very easy to get the prelim to be bound over. And then again, there are plea bargains afterwards and just before trial, or as I've had them. During, During jury trial. selection, <laughs> it's like, and it can come from the prosecution also. It's just not the defendant chickening out. Sometimes the prosecution is like, okay, let's, let's, maybe we can end this because they don't think their case is that strong either. Right. So it comes from both, both things. But let's take a couple of questions. 
Um, some of these have to do with, with uh, you know, plea negotiations and plea bargaining. So I think maybe those will be the first ones to go to. But I got this question, and this is my favorite question. I'm sure you get this a lot. That's right. Um, is the, the uh, person writes in, I paid an attorney to take my case to trial. A plea was offered by the prosecutor, and I accepted it. Am I entitled to a refund uh, of the case because it took more than a year, and I feel the attorney did nothing for me? <laughs> How many times have we heard that? <laughs> have you forgotten that one a lot? Uh, of course I have. Um, in fact, I was, uh, so I was mentioning actually earlier, just off the, uh, off the show, that uh, a, lot of my, a lot of people who find out that I'm an attorney, they come up to me and ask, hey, you know what, a couple years ago, I had this attorney, I don't feel like he did anything for me, what can I do? Right. <laughs> and, you know, even this, uh, you know, person who wrote in is there was a plea offered. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the attorney didn't do anything to get that plea. I mean, I've had cases where, a lot of cases, in fact, probably most of my cases, where some type of plea has been, been worked out, either to reduce the charges, drop charges, you know, lesser charges, or regarding sentencing. There's all types of, of different uh, things that can be done with a plea. And you work on them for months, yep. uh, especially since this one took more than a year, uh, and I think he said it was a misdemeanor. So something had to be going on during that year. Right. I, I can't believe the attorney was doing nothing for you. Uh, you know, sometimes that's true. There are, there are attorneys who really don't do anything, and eventually there's a deal, and, and you'll take it. But from my experience, and you know, with my practice, and with other attorneys that I deal with, we're negotiating with the prosecutor. We're we're investigating the case. Looking at the police reports, I have my investigator go over my police reports. He was a, a former sheriff. Uh, who's retired now and is doing uh, PI work. Right. And he'll point out where mistakes were made uh, or things that I should be attacking and to be looking at. And those, we call the prosecutor and we have meetings, you know, over the phone or sometimes in person, pointing it out. Like, look, your officer didn't do this correctly. You know, I'm going to take and hammer this person <laughs> at trial. And you work out a deal. So... This complaint, which seems to be prevalent, mm -hmm. especially when someone pays, it's uh, a lot of criminal defense attorneys, my firm included, we do a flat fee. Right. So, so, so from yeah. right from when we come into the case through trial and sentencing, if it gets that far, if and our contract states, if it you plead or you accept a deal or if it's dismissed, we've still earned our money because just going to trial isn't the whole thing. So most of the work is done before trial. Of course, like you said, right. about 5% actually goes to trial. Right, exactly. So, you know, I always find that this uh, question to be kind of amusing um, that people think attorneys don't really do anything uh, when they get offered a, a deal. That's right. You know, I mean, to be fair, again, like, like I was saying earlier, there's always there are always two sides of the story. Right. And I've seen both, too. Yeah. I mean, from the client standpoint, um, I have seen some attorneys uh, who, you know, all they want to do is – Get their get their money, and they want to plead you out as soon as possible. Right. On the other hand, I've seen clients who think that they have the strongest case, um, everything's for them, and they want an absolute dismissal. And won't listen to you when you point out all of the flaws. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> they, don't, they don't quite understand that there are certain procedures in court that are required to happen, and um, it, you just can't just get an outright dismissal. 
Uh, so there's, you know, like I said, I, I don't know what happened in this case to uh, cause this person right. to, to send this question. Um, but regarding the issue of um, what takes so long, sometimes, sometimes a strategy, and I use this too, it's not because I'm lazy, but I will intentionally prolong a matter. Uh, many times witnesses or victims disappear. Right. Um, you know, officers forget, become a little less vague. Uh, they may switch up a district attorney. The judge may move. I mean, there's there's a strategic aspect sometimes to prolonging a matter. Right. I don't and, know if this is the same in this case, but it's possible. Right. And actually, you've worked on cases with me where that has been our Absolutely. strategy. And as I tell the client, a criminal case is not like fine wine. It does not get better with age <laughs> for, the, for, the for the prosecution in most cases. Now, if there's a case where it's heavy on evidence, yes, maybe they'll find more evidence or right. DNA or something. But for the 90% of the cases, it is not getting better for the prosecution because, as you said, people forget that their stories change. They forget what they said before. They move away. They get lost in the system. They don't want to deal with it anymore. Right. And sometimes that's the best strategy. But let's talk about uh, clients and take some more questions after uh, our short break here that we're going to go out to. Right? Perfect. Right. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Have you been arrested? Is someone you love in a legal jam? Don't get advice from just anyone. Call the criminal defense experts at McDowell and Associates. Attorneys. McDowell and Associates has over 20 years of legal experience. The National Trial Lawyers Association named us one of the top 100 California criminal defense trial attorneys for two years in a row. We know that sometimes good people just make bad mistakes. We know the system and we know how to fight for you. We know what the prosecutors will do, we know their weaknesses, and we'll do everything at our disposal to get you the best possible outcome. Your case will receive the personalized attention it deserves. McDowell and Associates, attorneys, has the experience and the skill to make sure you or the ones you love receive the best legal defense and strategy. Call 213-401-2322 or visit McDowellDefense.com. That's 213-401-2322 or McDowellDefense.com. Se habla espanol. When your future is on the line, your future is our business. Call us at 213-401-2322. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. This is your best legal defense with Lonnie McDowell. If you have a question for the host or guest, we're ready to take your call at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Be sure to tell the screener if you need to remain anonymous with your question. You may also send an email to radio show at mcdowelldefense.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. And again, I'm here with uh, my guest, criminal defense attorney, Justin Shimizu. And prior to the break, we were talking about uh, some expectations uh, clients tend to have of their representation by uh, criminal defense attorneys. And we're talking about plea negotiations and plea deals. And I have a couple of questions uh, from uh, listeners 
that wrote in. Uh, so I want to go over a couple of those. The first one is, if I'm offered a plea deal, can the victims reject it? Can the judge reject it based on their victim impact statements? So have you had that happen to you? I know I have. I've I've had a uh, I've had a judge uh, reject a plea deal not because of a victim impact statement though, um, but I understand where this person is coming from. Ultimately, yes, the judge does have to approve a, a plea deal. Right. Anything can change his mind, um, or anything not change his mind, but uh, affect whether or not he he's going to accept it. Um, in my case, he felt that the client did not completely understand uh, what he had done or what he was pleading out to. So on those grounds, the judge rejected the plea deal. So he was protecting the the, the interest defendant. of the defendant. Yes. Okay. Um, likewise, if if a victim were to come up there and may of course make a statement uh, in reference to the the type of crime that was committed and the impact that the crime made on them, if the judge believes and feels that the um, the plea deal that was entered is not sufficient to either punish or make whole the the victim or punish the defendant, make hold the victim, um, he does then have discretion to reject the plea deal. Right. So basically on, on this question, the victim can't reject it. The, the victim can tell the judge, tell the prosecutor that they don't agree with the deal that is being presented and they're not happy with it, but they actually are not in the process other than, than that. They, they right. can't reject it. While some victims feel that the prosecutor is actually their attorney. They're really not. They're the state's attorney. They they have no lawyer, uh, attorney-client relationship with the victim. Uh, the victim is basically a witness for the state. That's correct. And a lot of victims don't don't quite understand that. They think that the district attorney actually works, you know, for them as, as their attorney. I've actually only had one judge reject a deal. Most judges, from my experience, go along with, with what the prosecutor is. In the criminal justice system, again, things that sometimes defendants and victims don't understand is the police don't charge you. That's correct. The court doesn't charge you. The district attorney charges you. The district attorney has sole discretion, for the most part, over what they charge and if they charge. Now, obviously, if, if the facts are a DUI, they can't charge you for burglary. I mean, the, the, the facts of the case have to go with what they're charging. But they have the discretion, whether it's a first-degree burglary, second-degree burglary, or other lesser-included crimes that they're going to charge you with, with trespassing or whatever. So they have, in the beginning, the, the greatest amount of discretion on charging. Um, and most judges feel that the district attorney knows their case well enough. They know the facts better than them because one another thing that I know my defendants a lot of times don't understand is the judge doesn't have the police reports. He doesn't really know anything about the case That's other right. than what the prosecutor and the defense attorney tell him. Right. He has not looked over over uh, the the paperwork. He hasn't seen the police reports. He hasn't read victim statements or witness statements or anything like that. So he basically is relying on the prosecutor and the defense attorney to tell him the bits and pieces he needs to to go forward. And so the judges give great deference to the, the district attorneys in, in this aspect. Like I said, I only had one judge reject a 
uh, plea deal. We worked it out with the uh, district attorney. It was in Rancho Cucamonga. Right. I won't mention the judge, <laughs> but um, he's very hard on drug cases, and it was a drug case. And he just, he was, I'm not going to approve this. I can send it out to another court. I'm sure this other judge will, will go along with it. But I do not approve these cases. I am not approving this deal. Now, there were some other complications with another charge, which is why the client didn't want to wait and send it out to, to, another, to the other court, where he probably would have gotten this deal done, but would have impacted his other deal. So, you know, we renegotiated and wrapped everything together. So it, it did still work out. That's really the only time I've had a judge mm -hmm. uh, not go along with, with a plea offer, um, just because they, they give so much deference. Um, another question is, and I'm, I'm not quite understanding this question. I, I think the writer has their facts a little wrong, but let's see what we can do with it. Right. It says, in a plea bargain in which a prosecutor agreed to remain silent, are they allowed to cross-examine witnesses before sentencing? Now, the first part that, that's wrong with this is if there was a plea deal, there would be no witnesses <laughs> to cross-examine. A plea deal basically ends the prosecution. Uh, you're not going to have a trial. Right. Uh, if it's during trial, it stops. So I'm wondering if this person is talking about when they say cross-examine witnesses before sentencing, if they're talking about can the prosecutor ask victims who are giving a, some type of victim impact statement prior to sentencing. That, 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 sounds, that sounds like uh, what they're asking. Also, right. I'm, little, I'm not exactly sure what it also says prosecutor agrees to remain silent. Is that, are they just, are just refusing to... Not not talk to the the victims or something. Right. I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure. The yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what they're doing there. I think one part of this might be, and I've had this when we've done plea negotiations, is the prosecutor won't object to certain things. They will re remain silent if the judge, you know, to, about uh, let's say fire camp. Right. Uh, they won't oppose it. They'll remain silent if the if we ask for fire camp and, and the judge asks their opinion, they'll say they have none. Or uh, choice of facilities or uh, especially if it's uh, like a drug rehab, whether it's inpatient, outpatient, they'll remain silent and, and defer to the court. So I'm not sure about that either. But those are the times when, it, when a prosecutor would actually uh, agree to remain silent. Uh, or if it's coming back, let's say, on a DEJ or um, not on a DEJ, because uh, that's kind of an automatic if they've uh, completed their term to be dismissed. But if they've pled, they are now completed their probation and now they're uh, trying to expunge it, the, sometimes the prosecutor will agree to not object, not object uh, when it comes back to court. So, you know, I'm not really exactly sure about all of that question, but hopefully some of our uh, <laughs> answer is, has touched on something that, that the uh, writer wanted to know. Well, I, I think you, I think you, I mean, the only, the only plausible explanation I think you already mentioned is, yes, the, the witness that they're talking about, um, or the prosecutors uh, agreeing to remain silent regarding the, the uh, cross-examination of the witness, I, I think the only thing, the only plausible explanation would be um, the victim, um, you know, just not asking the victim questions about how, how horrible they felt because of the offense, um, but it's, it's a little confusing. Right. 
another question. Uh, my son had a plea agreement after he completed his part of the deal. The prosecutor has refused to do his part of the deal. Do we have any way to force the prosecutor to live up to his side of the deal? Again, I'm a little confused on that question. Uh, typically, when you, well, should be, when you have a plea agreement, you've made an agreement with the prosecutor to either uh, modify the charges, uh, bring something down from a felony to a misdemeanor, uh, or regarding sentencing. So they complete a term or, you know, they have to do community service instead of jail or, or whatever the agreement is. And that's put on the record when you accept your plea. Right. So I'm not sure what they're talking about where the, the prosecutor isn't living up to his side of the deal. Uh, if that really is the case, they should be able to get the transcript from the sentencing or, or for the entry of the plea and take that into to the court. Yeah, um, one thing that I may see here is a lot of times, and this happens a lot of times in, in uh, mostly misdemeanor matters, um, since some courts don't always have court reporters in misdemeanor matters, um, you will sidebar with the district attorney. Um, in exchange prior to pleading, you, the district attorney will offer a particular set of circumstances or events that the defendant would need to complete, such as community service, pay a fine, and after proof of those conditions, they will either reduce a charge or dismiss a particular charge or something to that effect. So I'm thinking maybe this is what happened. I know it also happens with a lot of DEJ pleas, uh, deferred entry of judgments. Um, the district attorney will agree to, uh, say, dismiss a... Uh, for example, a drunken public, you know, relatively small uh, misdemeanor matter if they were to complete some alcohol program, um, do right. some community service. That stuff or those types of agreements are generally off the record since it's just between you and the district attorney that you work out. Um, I'm assuming maybe this is what happened. And unfortunately, unfortunately, um, it, I, there is really nothing that you can do legally to force a DA to uphold uh, what they said off the record. Right. And, and you, you bring up a, a very uh, interesting point. You practice in Orange County. That's correct. And I had a trial there, uh, had to be five, six years ago. And it was the first time I had been in Orange County for several years um, and, and did actually did, did a trial. Um, and I was surprised that it was a misdemeanor, it was a, it was a DUI misdemeanor, that there was no court reporter. Mm -hmm. And I talked to the clerk, and she goes, oh, if you want a court reporter, you have to hire them for misdemeanors. Yep. Where L.A., you don't. That's L.A., right. you get a court reporter for all misdemeanors. So that was that was one thing that, that kind of threw me at first, because during the budget crisis, misdemeanor court reporters were eliminated in Orange County. Yeah. Uh, so that... You know, we were saying, you know, it's not on the record. That's kind of an Orange County thing you need need to worry about. But one thing that I always do is on the pleading form, uh, the tall waiver, which for those of you listening is a form that uh, when you plead, you have to acknowledge certain constitutional rights that you have, right to an attorney, right to uh, present evidence, right to cross-examine witnesses, 
uh, right to remain silent, and that you're giving up those rights to enter the plea. I always put on that form exactly what the terms are. That's that's exactly what you have to do. Right. Otherwise, and you you, you have uh, no record. You have this 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 problem that we have. Right. And also another thing that's very important is when you do have, and I make sure I do this too. When there is a court reporter. I always try to put the offer, even if it's not an offer, the conditions that the district attorney is wanting prior right. to the plea on the record. That way, if the situation comes up, we can pull the record, and then it will be me and the judge pressuring the district, district attorney, attorney to uphold what they previously stated. Right, and, and I just ran into this in Long Beach, and luckily there was a court reporter, <laughs> and the, the district attorney was like, no, that's not what I said, that's not what I said, and we pulled the thing, and it's, exactly it's what you what said. <laughs> so it may not have been what you meant, but it is what you said, <laughs> and that is what the person agreed to. Um, and... The judge was like, you know, that's what you said. You, you know, I asked you. That's what you said. That's what it is. The person agreed to those terms to right. plead, not to what you thought you meant. So he gets the benefit of, you know, the transcript. Right. And, you know, that does happen occasionally. But most of the time, I've, I've never really run into prosecutors that try to get out of the deal. Uh, they may want to... If you've done 51 classes instead of 52, then they may sometimes get a little, you know, well, you know, you didn't complete them in, in the time, you know, and you're just missing one and you could go complete it next week and they try to give you a hard time about it. But even that, most prosecutors don't. But I've, I've had one or two. But I, generally, they'll go along with the deal that they have. Right. A lot of times also, I mean, I, I, this, this case has, has come up. But I was always always able to convince the district attorney to uphold their uh, their bargaining um, right. their requirements, um, and that's because I, I if it wasn't written on their notes, they switched DAs. A lot of times, DAs switch, right. and the previous DA didn't write their notes. Um, and yeah, you know, if that I, could I, be a problem, I, exactly. And I go up to them and say, hey, you know what? Um, the other previous DA made this offer, and of course, I don't abuse this because it, it, it does lead. Right, this process open to abuse. Hey, you know, he said he's going to dismiss it. Oh, uh, right. right. Generally, I've had those prosecutors go back and check with the other prosecutor, right. and if it's something that they would have never done, you know, and you don't want to lose your, because what uh, people don't really understand is a lot of this is built on your credibility. Right. Once you know you're known as, oh, you can't trust anything he says. Mm -hmm. You don't go anywhere in this business. Absolutely. So. I want to talk a little bit more about DEJ and exactly what that is because we mentioned it a couple of times and how that works. And let's do that uh, when we come back from commercial break. Perfect. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Have you been arrested? Is someone you love in a legal jam? Don't get advice from just anyone. Call the criminal defense experts at McDowell & Associates. Attorneys. McDowell & Associates has over 20 years of legal experience. The National Trial Lawyers Association named us one of the top 100 California criminal defense trial attorneys for two years in a row. We know that sometimes good people just make bad mistakes. We know the system, and we know how to fight for you. We know what the prosecutors will do. We know their weaknesses, and we'll do everything at our disposal to get you the best possible outcome. Your case will receive the personalized attention it deserves. McDowell & Associates. 
attorneys has the experience and the skill to make sure you or the ones you love receive the best legal defense and strategy. Call 213-401-2322 or visit mcdowelldefense.com. That's 213-401-2322 or mcdowelldefense.com. Se habla espanol. When your future is on the line, your future is our business. Call us at 213-401-2322. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com This is your best legal defense with Lonnie McDowell. If you have a question for the host or guest, we're ready to take your call at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Be sure to tell the screener if you need to remain anonymous with your question. You may also send an email to radio show at mcdowelldefense.com. Now, back to the show. Yeah, welcome back. And I'm here with Justin Shimizu, criminal defense attorney here in Los Angeles and Orange County. And prior to uh, the last break, uh, we mentioned the term DEJ, which stands for Deferred Entry of Judgment, uh, several times. And I'm sure there's people out there wondering exactly what that is and how that works. I know I get a lot of uh, calls regarding, you know, am I eligible for DEJ? Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, what are the requirements, Justin? All right. Well, first of all, DEJ, uh, again, yes, stands for Deferred Entry Judgment, is rooted in um, uh, Penal Code P or PC 1000. Essentially what this does, it allows anybody who is charged with a drug offense, a drug possession offense, or under the influence of drugs, um, <clears throat> to, to complete an 18th month um, or be on probation for 18 months. Um, during this period, they are going to be required to pay, pay a fine, uh, attend some uh, drug classes. Um, and after the end of 18 months, if they have not picked up any new offenses or been arrested, um, their case will be dismissed. Um, however, there are requirements for this, and it makes it very difficult for about, I want to say about half of my clients to get this type of um, offer. Uh, because you can't have any previous uh, drug record or you can't have any previous drug record. Uh, so even a DUI will make you inel- ineligible for deferred entry of judgment. Right. Now that's under uh, PC-1000, which basically deals with, with drug offenses. Right. However, courts will also allow uh, DEJs for other offenses. There is. And right. I, I'm not exactly sure some, why they still call it deferred entry of judgment. I know what they, I know in Orange County, they, consider, they call it the district attorney's dismissal program. Uh, what, what, right. what, what that is is say for example you get um, you charged with petty theft, uh, drunken public, small minor small minor offenses. Sometimes you can get them for batteries, little small little batteries. Right. What it is is all they all they want you to do is you enter a plea. You enter a plea of of no contest or guilty to that offense. They give you three months. You complete a little class. Give some DNA. Whatever the requirements are, that the district attorney has it depends on the case. And after the period of three months, they will dismiss it. Right. And it's a little bit different uh, in the courts in, in Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles County. Generally, they want you on what's called uh, summary probation for about a year. And summary probation is you don't report to a probation officer uh, as formal probation is. You don't have to check in. But 
if you violate the conditions of, of the summary probation, and that could be you know completing community service, paying fines, fees, restitution to the victim, you know all all types of conditions, then they can sentence you on the charge. They don't have right. to have to bring it back. So uh, basically, you can't get any new arrests. You can get traffic tickets, speeding tickets, as long as it's not excessive or reckless. But any type of misdemeanor, obviously a felony, then they can bring you back as a probation violation. But I've gotten them on, you know, carrying a, a weapon in a car, you know, having a, a concealed knife or, or something, you're not so, like a, da- a, a jerk or dagger right. um, cases where, you know, the person's never had an offense. It's something they picked up at like at a flea market and got stopped for speeding and it was in their car. People who don't really, are, you know, not uh, going to ever probably be. Uh, in front of a judge before, again. So, you know, the DAs will, will work out those deferred entries. And there's a difference between the PC-1000 program or the deferred entry of judgment if it's for something other than drugs and the Prop 36, which is right. also a drug program. Both of them will get the charges dismissed. But I always try to get my clients the PC-1000 over the Prop 36. Oh, definitely. Um, the PC-1000 is definitely the first choice. But like I was saying, it's a little more difficult for some people because of the prior record. Right. Prop 36 allows um, for the probation, probationary period prior to the dismissal, even if you have particular um, drug offenses on your record. Right. Well, and especially with uh, sometimes with the non-drug, because uh, you know DEJ on those are a little different, is... The, the main difference, and for me, uh, well, there's two reasons why the deferred entry of judgment, in my opinion, is, is better, is because the, um, one, you're not really convicted until you're sentenced. Okay? Right. There, there are two basic parts of being sentenced. There's one, the plea or the conviction, if you went to trial and lost, or your plea, and then sentencing. And you don't really have the conviction until you're sentenced. So with the deferred entry of judgment, you've entered your plea, but you're not been sentenced. So it doesn't show up on your record as a conviction. That's right. It shows your case is still pending. And then once you come back, if you've completed everything and it's dismissed, it will show it was dismissed. That's right. Or with Prop 36, you're entering your plea, you're being sentenced. And if you complete everything, then they'll come back and dismiss the case. Uh, reopen it and dismiss the case. But during that 18 months, 36 months, whatever you're on Prop 36 for, you're showing the conviction. Absolutely. And in fact, that, that brings a very good point. I actually uh, came across this issue about a couple months ago. Um, I had a client who entered a, a DE or deferred entry of judgment plea. And um, <clears throat> he asked me, he had, or he, he received the offer and he wasn't sentenced yet. He asked me, hey, I'm trying to apply for a job. Do I have to put, have you ever been or do I have to answer yes to the question on the application? Have you ever been convicted of a uh, misdemeanor or felony? Thankfully, he was on Prop Thirty or uh, uh, PC One Thousand right. DEJ, and I told him you don't have to. If he had been on Prop Thirty Six, he would have had to answer yes. Had to answer so it, yes. It really saved him. Right, and it does, and and that's one of the reasons why I always try to to push for for the DEJ uh, over the Prop Thirty Six, uh, if at all possible, only because. The, the requirements and the requirements aren't as strict, which is the, the second prong is with Prop 36, you generally have formal classes and, uh, you know, generally 18 months um, or longer. Right. Uh, or DEJ is generally a year or less. And 
from my experience with, with the course, even with the drug cases, with DJ, it's okay, you have to uh, attend NA meetings or uh, AA meetings or whatever. But it's, you go to the meeting, you have to go maybe once a week, twice a week, whatever the court decides, but you get to choose which meetings you go to and, and when you go to them, as long as you're completing that portion of it and getting your card signed so that you can prove to the judge that you've been there. Where with Prop 36, it is a much more formal structure. You have to enter a drug rehab program, mm -hmm. which tends to have you know drug testing and just a lot more requirements. And you have to be there at a certain time, a certain day, and that's it. And if you miss it, you can actually be thrown out of the program right. for one miss. So it's a lot harder for people to complete the 36 than the, the Oh, it is. In fact, in fact, many, many times uh, a, a client or some of my clients will come back um, after the end of the 18-month period on Prop 36, and the judge will sometimes have a surprise look saying, you know, I'm surprised you actually completed right. this. I, I, I'm not exactly sure of the exact percentage rate, but a good majority of people, unfortunately, cannot cannot stay clean for 18 months. Right, it, 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 and it is. And uh, I've had judges, you know, again, as you have, congratulate clients and say, you know, you're, you're one of the, the few this year that has completed the program. Right. Um, we're getting to the end of the show, and I wanted to get to one or two more questions. So in this vein, uh, again, with, uh, you know, plea agreements, this question from uh, one of the listeners is, if you have a lawyer, can the DA talk to you or make a deal with you without the lawyer being present. The DA came up to me at court and offered me a deal without my lawyer being present. He was running late. The DA did know I had a lawyer because uh, we had four court dates before my lawyer was there for each one of them. Uh, all kinds of red flags go off in my head <laughs> over, over that one. Um, yeah, no. I, I mean, well, here's I mean simple thing. answers, no. <laughs> I mean, they—they're not supposed to. I've seen right. it. Obviously, it happens. Yeah. Uh, they're not supposed to, um, but unfortunately, a lot of times the the attorney or their defense attorney is not proactive enough to tell them, "Don't talk." To Don't the talk to attorneys. the DA. Right. Well, the DA should know, and uh, you know, once you're represented, no one else is supposed to talk to you. Um, you know, even if there if it's a multi-defending case and there's everyone's represented, one lawyer can't talk to someone he's not representing. So, no, it's not uh, proper. However, if it they're happens. just conveying, you know, hey, I'm willing to make you this deal, go talk to your attorney, it's not a big, a big issue. But, yeah, the DA should know better. But, you know, time flies on the show. Uh, it does. It does. It's really it seems like we just started. Right? Why can't it be longer? I don't know. Well, yeah, we can have you back, and I hope you will come back. You know, but uh, we got to wrap up this segment. So, um, you know, this is your best legal defense. Uh, next week, we'll be going over some different topics, uh, all regarding uh, criminal defense and your rights. So we hope you'll uh, tune back in. And until next week, stay safe. Thank you for tuning in this week to your best legal defense. Lonnie McDowell invites you to join him along with another guest expert next Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, enjoy the rest of your weekend and stay safe.